Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, welcome to your Friday edition of Flyers Daily, February 12th. As we wait, we wait and wait for the Flyers to return as early as next Thursday, just uh, six days away, or are we going to wait beyond that? We don't know yet. Uh, A couple more uh, names ended up on the list, the COVID list for the Philadelphia Flyers, including Jake Voracek and Morgan Frost. Um, There could be more names tomorrow that are added to the list from the Philadelphia Flyers. We'll see if that indeed is the case. Uh, The NHL, and we're going to talk to Bill Meltzer in just a minute, the NHL and NHLPA did add some more levels of protocols uh, for dealing with the COVID situation around the NHL. Flyers very much a part of that now. Uh, They announced the addition of several new safety measures to their protocols to reduce the incidence of COVID-19 cases and increase the ability to detect cases of COVID-19. Here's what they had to say. The strategies have been tested and validated in medical settings, and all measures have been endorsed by the NHL and NHLPA's medical advisors. These enhanced measures will be in effect until at least February 28th, and the NHL, the NHLPA, and the respective medical groups will be regularly monitoring the implementation and effectiveness of these measures in addition to continuing to consider further enhancements to the protocols. Now, here's a couple things that they did add. In addition of POC, uh, testing for U.S.-based teams. Now, they already do the PCR test once a day, but the results of that aren't obviously very timely. It takes a little bit of time to get those results, sometimes up to 24 hours. So the league is in the process of providing each of the U.S. clubs with the POC test, which is a point-of-care rapid testing uh, to be administered on game day to all players and club personnel, as well as the on-ice officials who work in and around the bench area during the games. It's also expected that this testing will be in places early Uh, as today, which was yesterday, for most markets. And these tests have a slightly lower ability to detect the presence of COVID-19 than lab-based PCR testing, but they will provide prompt same-day results that could reduce and should reduce the chance of game participation by individuals who may have active infection. So if a testee uh, does test positive, that individual will be immediately isolated as per the positive test protocol and contact tracing will promptly ensue, and that individual will not participate in the game that day or obviously be around other members of the team and personnel. Uh, They also have a work-from-home quarantine uh, to to reduce the introduction of infection into the team environment, effective immediately all players, coaches, and training staff, equipment staff, and all other members of the club's traveling party will be required to remain at home and not leave their place of residence except to attend practices and games, to exercise outdoors on an individual basis, or to perform essential activities like go to the doctor, family emergencies, and those kind of things. Uh, Also, reinforcement of preventative measures, uh, facial coverings in locker rooms, and, you know, in the dressing room when the guys are getting ready in between periods. Uh, Also, early detection for household members, reduced uh, interaction with the team meetings being now virtual, uh, and social settings, clubs and players are being advised that no extended time should be spent sitting together unless all participants are both sufficiently distanced and masked, and additionally, player lounges and club hotels are required to be closed no later than midnight. Also, uh, this is an interesting one because players that – have been recently positive or they're looking for revised seating assignments. So the evidence it says uh, is emerging that individuals to have at least some protective immunity after having COVID-19 
uh, for at least 90 days after the initial infection. So they're suggesting to reconfigure the seating arrangements in locker rooms, for example, during uh, team travel or at meals, so that previously infected players are seated next to individuals who have never contracted the virus. Uh, The players with presumptive immunity can be used as a, quote, buffer for the players and staff who are unlikely to have such immunity. So it's a way to spread things out even further. If you're spreading people out by six feet and a person in between two people that have never been infected has been infected, in theory, that person in the middle can't infect those other two because they have immunity. And therefore, now it's basically 12 feet between those two people. Also, the uh, ventilation behind the benches and the penalty box uh, will remain in effect. If they do have fans, they'll be at least 25 feet back from the player bench or the penalty box. Uh, so they can't be real close to those areas where they're looking for a little bit more airflow. It, it's a fluid situation in the NHL. It's uh, it's one that the league has been prepared for, and it's one that they have to work their way through. Is this going to affect the amount of games that they play this season? It, it could, depending on how many of these outbreaks, A, take place, how they're able to be rescheduled these games, And if they're not able to reschedule them and they do have the buffer at the end of the season and prior to the playoffs that they can use, uh, but you could see a round number like 49, for example, being a number of games that that these teams could play, where in essence, you're supposed to play each one of those teams in your division, seven teams, eight times, that's 56. If you were to play those seven teams just seven times, then you're at 49. So 49 could be one of the magic numbers and I know the league wants to avoid going to a points percentage system to determine who makes the playoffs and who does not. Uh, But this is a situation uh, during a pandemic where there's a lot of variables that are out of the league's hands and out of the players' hands. And they're trying to do the best they can to to keep things moving forward. Um, And uh, eventually they will do so. Uh, Also, some reporting and saw that uh, open season, as it's termed, for vaccines, whether that's the the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, or maybe the Johnson & Johnson single-dose vaccine, there's reports that it could be open season for those vaccines come April. If that is the case, I'm I'm sure the NHL and other sports leagues that are, you know, baseball and the NBA and certainly the NFL at that appropriate time are going to do everything they can to get all their players vaccinated. And therefore, you put yourself in a situation where you know, if you if you can vaccinate your entire league, then you're in a situation where you won't have postponements and you won't have a situation where, you know, the players it, during a playoff run, for example, uh, so many players will be missing that it would compromise the integrity of a playoff matchup. Uh, so those are all good things. We're not quite there yet. And players in the NHL or NBA or Major League Baseball, they can't go out and jump the line in front of uh, people that are in need of it that are at much higher risk of severe consequence from the COVID-19. So uh, the appropriate thing to do is handle this as best as you can. Try and weather this storm with your protocols and constantly learn from what you're finding out and the, the latest data in your season and make adjustments. That's what the NHL is doing. And I get it's frustrating and it, and it sucks that we have to wait until at a minimum next Thursday for the Flyers to play again. But this is part of playing professional sports in a pandemic and without these teams bubbled. Uh, what the league knew when they didn't bubble teams that this was a possibility, uh, that these outbreaks could happen, and they have. 
And you're talking about a sport that's played in a confined area. This isn't the NFL where you're playing in a stadium, an open-air stadium in a lot of places, and being able to circulate air much much easier than you can in a confined indoor arena. That's also playing a game that's played on dry ice that is encapsulated in glass. So it is different than the other sports, whereas you know with the other sports, you can learn some things from those sports, but the NHL has to learn certain things on their own because they'd have challenges some of the other sports do not. But with that said, let's get to Bill Meltzer right now. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. And Billy, uh, we're really getting sick of the word pause, aren't we? Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I used to associate that with VCRs back in the day. You know, it, uh, <laughs> I, not with sports. It's, uh, you know, it's it's frustrating, truthfully. Be kind, please rewind. Remember the yes, old VCR days. <laughs> um, Bill, let's talk about it real quick because they are in pause right now. Uh, it was announced last night, of course, right after I recorded the podcast and posted it, that uh, they would not play on Sunday as well. So uh, it'll be six days from the, the day of this podcast. It will be their next game, which will be next Thursday against the New York Rangers. Um, they have some positive tests, obviously. They're in uh, – COVID protocol, we know three players on the list, Travis Sanheim, Tra- uh, Travis Sanheim, Justin Braun, and Claude Giroux. But t- to your knowledge, with the protocols and everything else, and I've read through them, and, and there's a lot there, but um, three players on the list, but they shut it down. Why do you think they shut it down with three players? I mean, they have the taxi squad as the extra bodies and for situations like this, but in your interpretation, what do you think? Well, you know, I because usually the threshold is concern of being able to ice a team, you know, and enough players that to have, you know, a game with some integrity to it. I mean, three is three is below that threshold. So if that's everybody that's involved. I, I think that, you know, they use the phrase a lot of abundance of caution. I, I think that given what's happened with some other other clubs, Jersey, uh, the Wild, Buffalo, you know, um, there, you know, there's concerned over there's concern over a much wider outbreak if they didn't if they didn't uh, pause things for you know for this period of time. And then there was that break the next Thursday, so they they returned to the rink on Monday. No further positive tests before then, hopefully. Um, you know, then then they're good to go thereafter. Now, four games you have to lose four games is it's tough. It's a lot. It's a lot of time away. You know, I mean, they won't even get back to practice until Monday at the soonest. But, you know, but I, I think there's also the component of the Tahoe game, too, you know, uh, a week from a week from Sunday. I, I think the league wants to uh, maximize the chance of being able to have a, a healthy flyer team going there as healthy as possible. Yeah, I mean, to me, you, I totally agree with you. Something I mentioned on the podcast yesterday. I think this is the league learning uh, that, hey, you know, the rapid test even if you take them, aren't the most reliable. The PCR test does take some time. Not only that, but the if you contract it, it takes some time for it to show up. So this is the league, you know, self-learning, if you will, saying, okay, let, let's proceed with caution. If we have to miss four games, that's fine. When we get up, if we have to bring this team back, and then they infect another team or more players get infected in the group, on the bench, in the room, whatever it might be, then this is the smart and prudent thing to do. We'll make up the four games, whether that's in season or – right after the regular season with a, a little stretch of time that they might have before the playoffs. But I, I look at it as this is the league self-learning. Well, I, I agree. And, you know, if, if you look at what uh, the believe, believe have happened with the Devils and Buffalo, 
you know, if you end up with more teams with outbreaks and more games being canceled, then, then you might be looking at, at, a, at a league-wide pause for several weeks. So mm-hmm. it's better to cancel a few games now and, you know, give give players who, who are contagious time to work through the process and whatever and hopefully, you know, hopefully come out on the other side. And as you said, I mean, they're, they're learning as they go along. So, you know, they don't, they don't have a bubble this time around. Um, you know, you take the precautions that you can take, but I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a moving target. So it's, you know, it's tough, but I, I, I would agree with how you assess it for sure. I think the thing that's interesting and the league has to learn, and, and you can look at other leagues for protocols and, and pra- best practices, but hockey is different than the NBA and the NBA is different than the NFL and major league baseball. Uh, you know, the NFL plays once a week and they have, you know, obviously a much larger roster and amount of people with the amount of coaches and everything, but they also play an outdoor stadium. And there was a study done uh, apparently from the NFL doctors that said, you know, coronavirus or COVID-19 does not cross the line of scrimmage. They basically said that no transmission happened because of contacting games. It basically happens in those other areas. I, I don't know if that's the case in the NHL because it's an indoor sport. Right. That is confined by glass, and you know, so it's different than the NBA in that regard. Plus, you have more players, and you're on a bench that can't be stretched out like you can in an NBA game. And you had at least glass behind it, encapsulating that bench and an encapsulated surface with dry ice, right. <laughs> which is, helps the aerosol transmission. So th- there's a lot. Of, you can't. None of this is comparing apples to apples, is what I'm saying. It's like apples to hockey sticks or watermelons or whatever, you know, it just doesn't, it's not pliable in that regard. Oh, sure. You know, I think compare an NFL sideline to, you know, an NHL bench, right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I mean, the players are elbow to elbow on the bench. Um, you know, I'm breathing I'm heavy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. You know, I, I'm curious, you know, the, the glass being taken out definitely helps with circulation, you know, the circulating the air. You know, now with, uh, like, you know, New York is allowing a certain number of fans back in, you know, and, and, and other other buildings as well. You know, I guess the glass has to go back in. There's fans right behind the bench. I don't know where, I don't know where the seating, you know, the seating will be. But it's, uh, you know, that, that's something, you know, that, I mean, that's something that, that uh, you know, I'll be interested to see how they how they work around that. Because it made sense to me to take, to take the glass out for the time being. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw the, the, the tweets come out yesterday. I saw the Islanders tweeted it out. I believe February 23rd is their target date to start right. allowing fans. Do, do you know the amount of fans that they'll be allowing? I don't. Is it 10%, don't. 20%? Yeah, so, so yeah, something along those lines. And, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm wondering how socially distanced the seating area is going to be as to where the, how they'll, how they'll disperse, even, even the 10%, how they'll disperse the crowd. Yeah, one thing they can do that works well is using the luxury boxes. Because there can be separation between the boxes, sure. and they can be like uh, cohorts, if you will, a group of people that come together, and they can be in those areas. So I imagine that that'll be one area that they can absolutely uh, put fans in. And we'll see. You know, the the Wells Fargo Center spent eleven million dollars on a lot of upgrades, including the the filtration system of the air, which they can recirculate now the entire building apparently in thirty minutes. I would think they didn't do that without the knowledge that they can recoup some of that cost in getting fans in the building sooner rather than later. I would think so. You know, there was a lot that went into getting that, that uh, the rating that they got for, you know, in terms, in terms of safety and, and air quality. I mean, that, uh, you know, that was to get people back in the building as soon as possible without that, you know, because 
listen, you know, the pandemic is not over and it, it's ongoing and the, you know, the opportunity to get people back in a sense this season, I, I think is dependent on that. And you do recoup some of that cost, obviously, as the capacity would expand and, you know, you, you follow the numbers and whatever, you know, I think without it, there'd be no chance. So. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. It, it was a necessary investment at this time. Uh, Bill, are you hearing anything in regards um, to mass vaccination for players, staff, coaches? Because I, I, I was reading that uh, open season for uh, the vaccination will be available sometime in early April to the general public. And I know the sports leagues don't want to jump the line. That's a bad look, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine that the league is is talking with some of these companies that when they're not jumping a line, they can mass vaccinate the entire league. And I saw the CDC guidance changed as well, that if you are fully vaccinated in two weeks from your second shot, if you have the Moderna vaccine or uh, the, the other one, I can't, Pfizer vaccine, that you don't have to quarantine if you are exposed to somebody who is infected uh, for at least a period of three months where you don't have to do that, uh, pending more data on the, the length of protection. Do you hearing anything in that regard about the the NHL and mass vaccinating all its players? Uh, I, I think that uh, I haven't heard any specifics. I've heard you know they're, they're the same whispers that went around before that the, the league was trying to obtain it on the front end, and they said no, 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 we're not we're not jumping the line here. So I mean I I think that certainly there would be interest in being able to do that, and particularly as they're getting closer and closer to the uh, to the one shot vaccine that's that's also supposedly right around the corner too. You know, the more uh, more doses that are available, you know, nationwide and in Canada, too, I think brings brings you closer to being able to do something like that. Yeah. And then you're then you're looking at a situation where if they are protected to the degree that these vaccines are protecting people, 95 percent efficacy. uh, When you look at that, then you're looking at a league that's not going to be paused. It's just getting to that point. And if it is open season in April, that certainly protects the integrity of the back half of the season, the regular season, and it also protects the playoffs. Oh, no question. And that's, uh, you know, if they end up having to shorten, not shorten the regular season, but play fewer games, go by points percentage. I mean, that's a big thing is to be able to have, you know, a a true playoff and really, really with fans in the stands, uh, you know, and they're not going to go back to a bubble arrangement. I, I think that I think you need that. So. Yeah, and they certainly don't want to be playing in different buildings. Um, as far as you know, Bill, the league, I've remained steadfast that the league has been prepared for what's happening, even though they're, they are learning as they go as well. Um, but as soon as the players decided and the league decided that they were going to play in their home buildings, they weren't going to be quarantined into a bubble, uh, they knew that positive tests were going to happen. Yeah. They, they do have contingencies for all of these different scenarios. They do. They, there have been, you know, there there are backup plans for everything. There's, there's so there's always, you know, it, it's just a question of at what point do they pull the trigger on enacting, you know, a plan B. Um, when once you know, I mean, again, the the bubble or mini bubbles are probably out the window. But there are, you know, there are alternate facilities that they can use in some cases. Um, you know, like uh, you know, for example, training camps and and you know, with the Coyotes, for example. You know, it. it uh, it, it's just uh, you know so yeah so there are there are contingencies they knew they knew as you said there'd be positive tests they they probably knew there'd be you know a couple of teams too where the cases piled up a little bit too so you know I, I think that's why you know for for everything from how playoff seedings will be determined to where you may be able to to fill in dates I think all of that was was planned on the front end 
where you have a little wiggle room and where you know and, and how how far you can extend things but i mean it's uh you know but it, listen i mean it, it does throw you curveballs too i mean it, it's not you know it's not all uh it's not all static it's definitely a fluid situation and just just the nature of the beast right you have no idea what you're waking up to on any given day. You really yeah. don't. I mean, the Flyers didn't know on that day when they woke every player up at 6.15 in the morning to give them, a, uh, you know, <laughs> the insta test or the, the rapid test, and it's the way things played out. And uh, I was reading that maybe Travis Sanheim didn't even – they didn't even know if he was positive on that day, but they held him out out of, out of quote, an abundance of caution. Uh, Bill, can this pause help the team? Because Sean Couturier had just come, in, come back – and maybe maybe a little break helps him, you know, get back to a hundred percent as opposed to coming back when you're eighty percent. Or you know, now you're limiting the amount of man games lost with guys on the list um, as well. Uh, you know, Phil Myers was in and out of the lineup because of the injury that he sustained. And you know, this is a situation where everybody in, in a season where there's a lot of games th- that they can rest up a little bit and heal their bodies and heal their mind in a way as well. Can this be a good thing for them? question you know when you're playing essentially every other day with some three and fours mixed in there that's that's grueling you know and and we've talked about the lack of practice time i mean it would be you know even even if the flyers do practice on monday you get a couple of days and there'll be probably an off day in there somewhere you're probably not going to practice three straight days but if you, you get in two good practices and have a game day on on thursday you know that's uh that's a pretty decent amount of prep time it's you know, it's uh, for the players who are a little bit banged up. Um, you know, it, it is a it is a good rest, but for guys who need to reset a little bit, like like Travis Konechny, I, I think it's good Great time for point. them. Really, the only the only guys who you know, like the way that the uh, the the Farabee and JBR and line's been going lately, they don't you know, they wouldn't want any time off. But I mean, it's, keep rolling, uh, yeah, yeah. But for the for the team at large, yeah, I think I think it's a positive. Yeah, the other two guys I think that that can benefit from this a minute a moment to catch your breath are Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom as well. Yeah, no, no question. Um, you know, we talked about it. They kind of went on the adrenaline, you know, the first, the first two games of the season, then both of them hit a, hit a bit of a wall. I think that the, uh, the chance to step back, uh, rest up a few days, get some practices in. I think it's, uh, I think it's beneficial to those guys too. And it's, uh, two guys that we've been looking at is maybe, uh, you know, needing to reset a little. So I think it's, you know, definitely a positive for those two. Yeah, I mean, the other part of that, too, is for those players, the reset to be able to just take the step back, but knowing that you're back in the league, you're playing, you can handle the physicality of it for a guy like Nolan Patrick in particular, you know, and and now having the confidence, he comes into the season, into training camp with an unknown going, what's it going to be like when I get back out there? Am I going to suffer through this again? Am I going to have a recurrence? But now knowing during this pause, okay, now I can go back to just playing hockey and I have a chance to collect myself. I think that's a really big element of it. It's a great point by you. Um, Let's talk about JVR. Uh, Bill, he's been so good this year. uh, And when you're on a heater like he is, you want to keep playing games every night. But uh, his game looks so different in a lot of ways. And I heard him say in an NHL Network uh, radio interview that he wanted to make his game and his body more elastic. And you know he's a guy that is always looking at different ways of preparation and very open-minded guy in the way he, you know, gets his body ready for a season and he'll try things. And, but I thought the the term elastic was very interesting. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, he looks like a more elastic player, not as much of a straight line player, yeah. 
a lot more curls, a lot more slippery, but a lot more physical contact as well, which I think engages him in a way. Uh, you think that's an interesting term that he used, and, and do you agree with it? I do, and and uh, you know, I, I, and I agree. He's been more elusive, but also mm-hmm. he's also initiated you know more contact. And not a, you know, he's never gonna, he's never going to be a guy who puts guys through the boards, but he's no. you know, but he's making contact, and and he's you know, yeah, he you know, he's he's uh, he's initiating plays, whether it's on the forecheck, whether it's on on. Uh, you know, turning defense into offense, which is which has produced some goals uh, for the club. Some of which he, some of which he doesn't even have points on. But uh, you know, but I, I think that just just his overall game, the way that he works out, the way that he prepares, you know, he's he's evolved, and that's uh, what players need to do as they get a little bit older. They need to change. And I think that's what AV was talking about too. You know, after after last season, and I, I think he took. He's one of the guys who's really taken that to heart. I, I think he, you know, he looks very, um, you know, hey, I think he's in great shape and a great playing weight and just just in general. I mean, he's, he's in he's in a really good place right now, and that's uh, you know, really really encouraging to see. I mean, last year was definitely a rough year for him. So it's, it's interesting because coming into the, you and I talked about this a thousand times because we had to do a thousand episodes on you know leading in, waiting for the game to come back, and we talked about guys that need to come back and be better contribute more end up on the score sheet more and jvr was on that list if not close to the top of it right um and not just the playoffs we're talking regular season as well and there's some guys that have stepped up and kevin hayes has has got a good amount of points i think in points in games i think he still needs to be a little bit more dialed in um but jvr was at the top of that list joel farabee is a guy who made a huge jump year one to year two but there are still a couple of guys that the team needs more from and a couple of guys I want to focus on with you and get your impressions of their game so far. And Nicholas Albe Kubel doesn't seem like he has the game that he had last year. Not as much of a straight line player getting in on the four check. What have you seen out of his season so far? I think he's had moments where he's been really good. And I think he was a real big pest against the Bruins and got in their head and was physical. And that's what he needs to do. Yeah, no question. You know, he's uh, he's a good straight line skater. You know, he's, he's, he's above average. Yeah, above average going in a straight line. Um, last year he was an outstanding and tenacious four checker. He was always around the puck, and um, I thought he worked really hard to be to be a two way guy last year too. Uh, at times this year, I, I think he's missed some assignments. He's taken he's taken some bad penalties, bad penalties in the variety of you know they're not they're not physical engagement penalties. There are situations where he had to grab somebody, you know, hooking, holding those kind of penalties that, that just. Just reflect how you know how dialed in you are on the play. It hasn't been every game, there and been all from not moving your feet. All from not moving your feet. Yeah. Yep. When, when he moves his feet and he's in there and he's initiating physically and he's annoying the other team and creating turnovers, you know that's that's how he was really effective. That's how we got the that's how we got the contract extension in the off season and you know um, worked his way from a guy who was a call player to being a, an every game player. Um, you know we've seen it periodically, as you said, the, the, the Bruins games, he, he looked, he looked dialed in. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, well, his line with his line with Ralph and Bunneman, you know, at, at times has been really effective, but I, but I think his two line mates have played at a little bit more consistent level than he has. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we need to see, we need to see a little bit more consistency out of him. But I don't think he's far off either though. Yeah. And he's the, got the kind of game where 
if you the the simple fix is moving your feet and your play away from the puck setting you up that when you are playing the puck that you're far more successful um the other guy and and he's got points and look he has the hat trick which are padding his stats a bit and travis konechny um but but he's another guy they need more from right now as well no yeah no no question you know i i think that um when he was scratched, it was more about the 200-foot game. But if he – listen, if he'd been producing offense right on right with it, I, you you live with it a little bit longer, I think. But he had – he's not generating shots on goal. You know, he had, he had one game where I think he was really close to breaking out. He, he almost scored in it. He was using his speed well. He was getting to the inside. He was getting a, getting under opponent's skin, you know, with the all, all that stuff. All the things that you associate with, with connecting, making plays. Right now – it looks like he can't get rid of the puck fast enough, you know, and that that's a mark of a, a player who doesn't have confidence in his game. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's not getting to the scoring areas, but also too, I mean, I, I think he's, I think sometimes a player has to rebuild his game piece by piece by piece. I mean, he talked the other day about how, you know, playing the right way, trying to get back to being, you know, a little bit more of a 200 foot player. I mean, he's going to, he's going to take his risks being, being mostly an offensive guy, but I, I think that you know everybody everybody can buy in to you know back checking and not leaving the zone too early, cheating you know cheating out of the zone, all all those, all those little things that drive coaches nuts. You know I, I think that he's working on rebuilding that, and I would not be surprised. A lot of times you see you know then then a player will have a game or two games where he's doing everything but scoring. He hits the post, he does you know a goalie robs him a couple times. And then he gets one in the dam opens, you know, that's, uh, you know, he was, he wasn't to that point yet though, because he was he still wasn't getting the chances. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that some, you know, somebody getting back to the net again. I mean, that's how he scored all those goals early. Yeah. He was really good at getting to the net, you know, right, right now you, you know, you notice him a lot more on the outside. So I think that just getting back to, to the things he knows he has to do when he's going well is really, really what he has to do. And it's, it's not a work ethic thing. Um, let's look at the, the one glaring area that we said, okay, this is a big question mark. We always go into a season, you go, all right, what are the question marks? What are the, what are the certainties in the question marks? You know, one of the question marks coming into this season, besides Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom was the top pairing right side with Ivan Provorov. And we've seen a lot of different, you know, combinations, whether it was Justin Braun there, whether it's been Shane Gossespierre, or whether it's been... Uh, Eric Gustafson or Phil Myers and even Travis Sanheim uh, on that top pair with two left shots. That's still the big question mark for me because I don't feel like there's any answer that I love, if, yeah. that, if that makes sense. No, I agree. I, yeah. I, I haven't seen it yet. I, I haven't seen, okay, okay, here's here's something you could run with for the long term, right? Yeah. Um, and that doesn't weaken your second pair. Correct. Yeah, that, that's just it. I mean, they, they, Myers has only been there one game and you know, I think I think he would he would adapt well, but I, I really like Sandheim and Myers in the pairing. I think they really complement each other well. I think they're yeah. perfectly slotted as a second D pairing. Um, Myers will still have games like you know, listen, you know, it, it's no it's no shame in getting beaten by Alex Ovechkin, right? Um, but you know, I, I think that he'll still have some plays where, where he gets beaten, some plays up ice where you know it takes him too too long to get rid of the puck, he'll get blocked, he'll come back the other way. He'll see a constant diet of other teams' best lines as Provorov does if he's on that pair. 
can he become that player? He's a shutdown guy, two-way guy. He does it in, you know, he does it periodically. You, you see flashes of it. You see games where he does it. But I don't know if he's hit that consistency mark where I feel comfortable yet with him as your main shutdown guy along with Provorov. He has the physical skills to do it. You know, same same thing with Sandheim. I, I think the second pairing is his sweet spot. Um, yeah. Ghost, I thought, was playing well in his early games. He had a couple of rough games against Boston, you know? Yeah. Um, and, Civilly uh, with turnovers and yeah, you know, exactly. some decision-making as well. Yeah, and I, I think Gustafson has played better, but he's not a guy you want on that top pairing. So I, I, I think that that's still – that's still something that very much needs to be figured out. I, if you had to identify a number one team need, I would say it's another 20-minute-a-night defenseman. They're not easy to get, though. you got, you got to work around the cap. But if there's a number one need, that's it. Preferably right-handed, but I, I think you would take anybody that can play the right side and give you give you minutes. Um, We've seen a weird trade market, lack thereof. We, see, we saw the, the hockey trade that happened between Columbus and Winnipeg and Pierre-Luc Dubois and two guys, top of the draft players, being swapped for each other along with Jack Roslovich. Um, but you look at that, and by the way, Line got <laughs> basically yes. sat down already, which is – I like the way he handled it, though. But uh, with that being said, we haven't seen a lot of trades. Uh, and I talked to Chuck last week on the podcast – he was kind of unsure what this trade market is going to be like. What's your kind of prediction on on maybe filling that need via trade? And in this NHL with a flat cap, I mean, you can't give away a lot to get a guy that's going to be a multi-year guy if you, it's going to cause you problems in the expansion draft and you can't protect it, and you're going to trade away stuff and lose the player essentially or a key player because of that addition um, to, to just get a rental for a half a season and a shortened season. So how how do you see this trade market playing out? Yeah, uh, I mean, there, there's going to be a premium on, on the rental guys, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we, you don't want to part with a first-round pick unless you're really get you know, for a rental, unless it's a, unless it's a rental who's going to make a big impact. Usually rentals don't do that, even if they're named guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it tends to be their next year with the team that you start to see them mm-hmm. settle in. And, you know, so they have to learn a new system, all that stuff, right? It, it's not uh, it's not as easy as <laughs> as easy as it sounds sometimes, just based on the names that move around. There, there's always there's always a certain amount of movement. Um, you know, I, I think that they know what the team needs, but being able to get it done is tough. I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if there's just minor little tweaking going on and you hope for the best. I mean, that's uh, I know that's not what people want to hear necessarily, but with, with limited cap, even, even if you're banking cap space, you know, it's uh, there's there's not a lot to bank right now. So it's, you know, yeah. so you get it, you're able to get take on a little higher um, salary cap, bit, but not, not outrageously higher. So that's, you know, a lot of it is also, there's a lot of it is also uh, cap hit matching. Uh, thinking about the expansion oh, draft. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. If you get a guy who has a year remaining, you know, do you protect him or do you potentially expose somebody else you, we're thinking you were going to protect. I mean, all of that comes into play when you're when you're making moves this time of year. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think that you also can't you also can't afford to just lose a year and have have. Uh, to me, you know, the playoffs have a way of exposing your biggest weakness, whatever it is. And, Especially uh, when it's that one. <laughs> oh, oh, no question, no question. You can you can only work around the top pairing in a D guy so often, and you hope you hope some guys play a little bit over over their heads, and you. You know, you get great goaltending and all the rest of that too. I, I I still think that's that's a need. If you can address it, it's worth addressing. 
question is, of course, the, the cost and return and then the, the cost benefit analysis. And without knowing the names involved or, or whatever, it's, it's you know hard to be more specific than that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. I think it's it's just one of those things. Like it's easy for you know us to just look from the outside and say, "Go get go get a top pairing twenty four minute a night right shot D man." <laughs> okay, how? And All right. Where am right. I putting his money? Because usually, if I'm getting a guy, I don't want to get a guy. I don't want to make a trade just to make a trade. If I'm trading for that guy, I got to make sure it's the right guy. Because if I'm giving up something significant, I can't trade and go, "Oh, it doesn't fit," you know, or "Oh, this isn't going to work," or. It, it's got to be a certainty that this guy's going to be a big upgrade, not only for this season, but maybe beyond and, and the, the expansion draft ramifications thereof. So we'll, we'll see how this trade market plays out. I, uh, should there be, do, do you think the, the Matt Niskan indoor is dead bolted? I, I think that, uh, you know, <laughs> well, I know Tom would still love him to come back. I mean, he's, he's left the door open. It's really, it's really up to Niskan, right? It's, yeah. you know, he's, I mean, he keeps saying he's content in retirement, but the Flyers did not. Uh... So was Peter Forsberg a couple times. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, every time football came back, it would be for a few games that he'd retire again. Yeah. Yes. Or he'd come back for a playoff run and win a cup. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. But, um, you know, but I, you know, I mean, that, that would that would be nice because, you know, he would be able to step right in and, you know, you do what you need to do to fit him in and, last year of his contract. I mean, the Flyers, as Chuck pointed out, they didn't, uh, you know, they, yeah, they didn't terminate the contract. He never filed retirement papers. They just told the contract for the year. So he could even theoretically come back next year, fulfill the obligation. But it's, you know, I I don't know. I mean, from, from all indications, he seems to be content in retirement. So, you know, it's up to the player ultimately. I, I think the Flyers suddenly have the door open from their side. Yeah, and maybe, you know, he just doesn't want to go through all the rigmarole of the beginning part of the season and the vaccinations come in and things stabilize. You look at it maybe through a slightly different lens as a player yeah. uh, that's been in the league a long time, won a cup, and has had a lot of success. But I, I I think it's unlikely, but, you know, the fact that they didn't turn the contract, uh, Chuck Lee has some sort of belief that, hey, stranger things have happened yeah. in sports to not terminate the contract and uh, him coming back in would be, would obviously be, be a huge, huge boon to this team um, and what he could bring to the team. Well, Bill, uh, you know, I'm, it's weird. Like during the pause, um, I'm, I'm in the beginning of it. I was like, okay, a couple of days off. That's cool. Then when I saw, you know, Saturday and Sunday canceled and, and we're not going to play until next Thursday, I'm going, all right, I, I'm now I'm getting, uh, getting very anxious and I want hockey again. I want Flyers hockey back. I was, I was, it was, you know, not that it's been like a super fun season, um, but it's been filled with a lot of really cool storylines in a lot of ways. Oh, no, no question. It, it, it's, you know, it's been a, a different kind of an intrigue. Well, mm-hmm. listen, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, the Flyers want to be at the rink on Monday. I certainly wouldn't be covering practice on Monday. You know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's nice to sometimes take a step back, take a deep breath and talk about some of the bigger picture stuff like the, you know, like the trade deadline, whatever, but we're only, you know, but I think, I think we're ready for hockey again, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I can't wait till we were talking about games, and uh, that'll be six days from now when the Flyers will take on the New York Rangers, presumably, provided uh, there's not a more outbreak uh, within either of those teams, frankly, for that matter. So uh, we'll see what happens. Bill, thanks for doing this. This was awesome. Uh, Flyers Daily chugs on, even though the team is uh, on pause. We are not. So thanks for doing this. All right. (laughs) 
Thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back coming up tomorrow with another brand new episode as the pause continues. But we'll keep an eye on what's going on around the NHL, and we'll give it to you all here on Flyers Daily. Everybody, have a great Friday, and we'll talk to you on tomorrow's episode of Flyers Daily.